Hey guys, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for over 10 years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures, how through them God has made himself known to us and his ultimate desire to dwell among us. We want to invite you to join us on this journey as God reveals himself to us through his word. We also want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Happy Halloween! Almost. I can't believe I like spread out my arms doing that as yeah. though you can see me, but... Two more days to Halloween. Our yep. kids are pretty pumped. They're also super whiny because they're like, why isn't it... Halloween yet. Today. You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, like, why is uh, But we've gotten today? good... I do think that we've gotten good use, actually, out of uh, Caleb's costume. Oh, for sure. You know, he's used it a lot. Yeah. I mean, he... Uh, well, the fall twice. retreat... Uh, or not fall, fall retreat. retreat. Uh, the fall festival and... Fall festival. Then today was a book character day at school. And so I searched through his books and to found... To find an astronaut. To find... Yep. He's going to be... He's an astronaut for Halloween. And so I found Pete the Cat out of this world. And it's where Pete the Cat goes to space camp and visits the moon and all this stuff. And I was like, great. You're going to be Pete the Cat astronaut version. You know, uh, in um, Halloween is Sunday... Mm-hmm. So uh, the the church is doing a thing where they're ha- they ask the kids for kids praise to show up as quote a Bible character, and I personally think it would be awesome. I I w- I wish I wish I had a dragon costume for Caleb so that he could go as Leviathan uh, from from Job uh, or the the the. The uh, chaos monster, if you will. The monster of the deep that's uh, in Genesis chapter 1. Can you imagine Caleb trying to explain his costume, (laughs) though? I mean, I just don't know that it'd go so And and I also, uh, in the King James Version of the Bible, there's also um, appears, quote, a unicorn. Um, So I thought Sadie could go with a unicorn. Sadie, big unicorn fan. She had a unicorn birthday yeah. Uh, for her third birthday party and everything was unicorn. Although yeah. she doesn't like to like wear any kind of hairpiece. So like getting her to wear like we had gotten her like a headband with the unicorn horn. What is it? What yeah. is that horn yeah. on it? And uh yeah, it was a no go. She was there was no way she was gonna actually wear that for yeah. her birthday. There's so if I could if I could send my kids to church as a unicorn, the unicorn and a dragon. And a dragon. That would be hilarious. I would love that. Yeah. And I would just love the puzzling looks and being like, I don't think they get it. You know, like yeah. I don't Bible characters. It's like, no, but it is. Like Leviathan, the 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 dragon, although uh it would be I guess the the dragon in the scriptures is a is a satanic figure so maybe that would (laughs) yeah not good but anyways not good well you know also we're just starting you know there's october 31st is halloween november 1st is when we start christmas right uh no uh well not according to sadie sadie was trying to watch the grinch tonight she was watching the grinch in july too true she always wants to watch the grinch she likes she'll say that he has creepy hands and she'll do her little like yeah. she'll like wiggle her fingers at you it's a little quality um, time the yeah. yeah um and then garrett for some reason he's in here with his bunny mug like it's yeah you know i think we've talked it's been a long time since we've talked about the bunny mug yeah it was probably back when we were doing like esther at the beginning of this probably if you haven't heard the bunny mug story this this mug i have it right in front of me the handle is a bunny 
And uh, he, before, you know, before COVID, when he actually went into the office, Garrett would use this bunny mug, which has, you know, two lovely bunnies, you know. They're going to church. They are, aren't they? Yep, they're going to church oh. on Easter. Mm-hmm. It's precious. Yep. Um, these, these bunnies, they're just, you know, completely adorable. They are uh, quite... They, have a, they, they haven't been married very long because they don't have any children and they're bunnies. And... So. <laughs> They're so, so uh, not not uh, were, not a hit on people that don't have you know that don't have children yet. I thought, married, I thought but they gonna, are bunnies. I thought you were going to say because they're holding hands. No, <laughs> oh, well, I guess I guess they could not be married, but my guess is they are their bunnies. So well, I mean, uh, I'm just I'm just saying, you know, the longer you're married, the less likely you're going to be holding hands walking oh, together wow. somewhere. Why? I don't know. It just happens. What? What? <laughs> Maybe it is. Are these some deep seated issues that are going on right now? You never know. You're just revealing to me? No, but, Uh, anyways, this bunny mug Garrett would take to meetings, and if things got, you know, high stressed, he just lifts up. Yeah, it was just a reminder. He just lifts up his bunny mug and does the old. Little sip, little sip. Don't do that on the podcast. I just did with my water, not the bunny mug. I am incredibly annoyed. Well, that's what you do with the bunny mug yeah. to get the attention. Of... It's just a, it's just a reminder to not take yourself too seriously, yeah, which I do all the time. Diffuses the situation and everything. So we've got the bunny mug in here with some. He's got some herbal tea. Mm-hmm. I thought it said fall asleep in four minutes, some chamomile, but it says some, steep four some, minutes. It is chamomile. I was like that's though. amazing. It's chamomile with some honey, a little touch of honey mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. So, well, um. We are going to be studying the book of Joel next, yes. which is pretty exciting because I knew nothing about Joel before we started. His name, his name means it. Yahweh is God. I like that. I like yeah, the name Joel. Yahweh is God. Um, but anyway, so we're going to be doing the book of Joel, and then after the book of Joel, we'll be getting into, I believe, Matthew. Yes, I think so that is the plan. Joel is just three chapters, so we'll be able to... I don't want to say get through it, but we'll be able to. Move well, I think our, our desire is to kick off Matthew in in December. We feel mm-hmm. like that would be a sweet time to to kick that off. And mm-hmm. I'm also doing a or taking a I'll call it quote taking a class uh, mm-hmm. on Matthew right now from uh, from our church. So yeah, that's been good. So that'll be a, it'll be good timing for that. Um, but before we jump into chapter one of Joel, we have one of our. Don't strike through, ask those questions. Mm -hmm. And so the question we have today is, when have you felt the farthest from God? And um, Garrett and I have, I think, you know, we have been married for almost 10 years, but we had, we've been together like dating or engaged or married for almost 15 years. Years. I don't know. You walked into this. I don't. Six, oh no no no! It's been fifteen years. Yeah. Six okay. almost sixteen years. Okay. Um, and so, not that surprisingly, we share like a like, lot of our low points. A lot of our low you know, points. Half of our life has been spent together. Yeah. So a lot of our low points are like the major low points in our life has been have been spent together. Yeah. Um. In. You know, and I think, you know, as we're talking about it, as we're trying to think of things like when were times that we were far from God, even as we reflect on like maybe the most frustrating moments in our life mm-hmm. or when we were most angry or most sad and stuff like it was, it was kind of hard to feel, to think of those moments when actually we were like, yeah, that was, 
you know, we both felt frustrated and and far from God in that moment. Like maybe even in, in all of like the really high emotional times, we've actually felt closer to God in those times. Like we like almost that it was like we were I don't I don't know, like fighting through something, you know. Well, when you go yeah. like when you go through scares in life or things yeah. that make you really nervous and you tend to kinda like draw near to God in those moments yeah. and then, you know, it could almost in some ways be a high moment that causes you to be farther away from God. Yeah. Um, but so we were thinking, yeah, we thought through it and like tried to figure out when, when was that point that we felt that way? Yeah. And so there was a time period where we had, we had recently graduated from high school. Um, and our, our church, there was a lot of conflict within, you know, just like every church. Things that churches um, do. Yeah. You know, conflict and things that you just don't agree on how to approach it. And um, our church ended up splitting. And a lot of people that we loved and still do love dearly, they created a new church mm-hmm. in our in our area. And, um, you know, I think in general, it's, it's a hard transition for um, going from like a youth group setting to like, okay, now I'm... Now what do you do now whenever you got I'm, your big boy, big girl pants yeah, on? Yeah, like yeah. now I'm in... Now I'm in college and I don't really necessarily have a group that I know of. And, and at that time... I think that there was at times people trying to like get a young adult slash college group together, but there wasn't really. It just never really stuck. Yeah, Yeah. just there was nothing, there was no real identity to it. And so um, there was this time of, I don't know if it was six months or a year or whatever, but it was just a time where I think for both of us, we just felt like we had no purpose. Um, We didn't have, we felt disconnected from the church. Uh, we bounced, but yet, and yet we st- we still felt loyal to the particular church, you know, that we were a part of, uh-huh. and yet we also felt quote loyalty to people that had left, mm-hmm. and they were a lot of people that we looked up to as mentors and people that we, um, you know, that helped probably build more of your faith than mm-hmm. than than mine and. One that had been a, a huge anchor to my faith, he left. He left mm-hmm. the city entirely. And Which, don't worry, I mean, he yeah. ended up being the minister <laughs> no, at a wedding. Yeah, <laughs> he was, yeah, he was still our, the minister at <laughs> a wedding. But, yeah. I mean, and that's, none, of, none of this is casting blame. It's no. just that the situation, you know, as we were transitioning from what felt like a really, like, uh, hardcore foundational, quote, youth group. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of just like nothingness, like you didn't know what we were supposed to be doing. And, yeah. and that group was gone, you know, that we did find our foundation, you know, yeah. we had our kind of our, the foundation of our faith in. And, and so we were, you know, kind of, yeah, kind of without purpose, I mean, it, without. Uh, it truly was like we were going through the motions. Yeah. We knew it's like, we knew we were supposed to be doing something so we would just kind of show up at different places and at different times but there was no real like heart in it mm-hmm. um and you know we I, I don't know there was just kind of a disconnect and when you're disconnected from the church and the church being the people mm-hmm. 
um, it makes it really hard for you to then feel connected to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially if you're, I mean, like not actively doing anything at home either, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we weren't actively, I would say we weren't like actively doing anything at home and we weren't like, it was just like little zombie Garrett and Melissa. Yeah. Playing just, Halo and just, Call of Duty. <laughs> hey, that's yeah. not, that yeah. was fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was fun. Um, but yeah, so that was just, it was kind of interesting to think about because when I read this card, that was honestly the first thing that came to my mind. It wasn't like what you were saying earlier, like a hardship or anything, Mm -hmm. right? or even just like a high point where we're like, quote unquote, we don't need God, which that sometimes happens. Um, and so, yeah, it was just this total void. But the thing is, is that I would say if you're someone, well, if you're listening to the podcast, I don't think you're someone who is in that place. But if you have been in that place or if you ever find yourself in that place or know someone in that place, that it's not actually just like terrible to have those moments of going through the motions because and searching and, and, and yeah. sort of like, yeah, like not very trying super hard to search, yeah. but you're still there. Yeah. Um, and sometimes just that like minimal effort, cause I mean, for, for us, that minimal effort, like for Garrett, it led him into, you know, a decade long of like helping with youth ministry, mm-hmm. um, and really having a very rooted purpose. And, um, I don't know, just, you know, he was of, of just really being locked in and being more connected to the church and growing, um, you know, starting to really dig into scripture. And that took, you know, several years in the making. Mm-hmm. But um, just not giving up at that point, at that, like, far point, yeah, is what has ultimately <clears throat> led us to where we are now, where yeah. we're sitting here making a podcast on a Friday night. Yeah. So, um, yeah, taking that far moment and... And kind of seeing the transition from yeah. there to where we it, are and now. And seeing, and seeing, for me, like it just kind of changed in a moment whenever mm-hmm. one of the the youth deacons was like, hey, can you, because like, with the void that was left, mm-hmm. there was needed some help in the youth ministry because there wasn't anybody left mm-hmm. to do that type of stuff. And it was like, hey, can you teach this class? And basically I was like, I have no idea. I was like, I remember thinking. <laughs> this is probably I remember, a bad idea. <laughs> I remember thinking at the time, I was like, I don't know anything about the Bible. I really don't. Yeah. And in being, you know, thinking of some students that were in the middle school class, and I was like, that kid knows more about the Bible than I do. Well, and also just being like close in age to yeah. you know, some of the... Yeah, and, uh, and so I like, felt really unqualified to do any of that stuff, but it was like, hey, there was an opportunity that, you know, they needed some help, and I put my foot in there, and I, you know, went into that kind of unknown, and then, you know... On the other side of it, looking back, I'm like, holy moly, that was a, that was a big thing that mm-hmm. I did there, and it changed the whole trajectory of my life, you mm-hmm. know, of like what what I did with it. And so, anyways, so there you go. Which also yeah. kind of reminds me, I can't remember who said it, but it was somebody in like the young adult, uh, might have been Harrison, uh, of just like you never know what's just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that to me kind of reminds me of that because it was like this low, low, low point, and then it's like, oh. We found a calling. <laughs> Just yeah. kind of hanging out around the corner yeah. here. Which actually, it was a calling that came out of the thing that kind of made it so 
dark in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, it was like it was like came out of that. Just out of that bad thing that happened, something good came out of it and changed the trajectory. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Cool, a lot of reflection on that time period that we hadn't really thought about in quite a while. Yeah. Um, It's been yeah, it's been been a hot minute. So Well, do you want to do any setup for Joel? Yeah, I mean, just in general, I mean, so here the the deal with Joel, I mean, again, so this is another minor prophet. So we're talking about, uh, again, in uh, in the context of where you find this in the in in the, your Old Testament or the Tanakh, uh, this is on the scroll of the twelve. It's part of the uh, of the latter prophets. Um, latter prophets, you have like the three major uh, prophets, and then the the twelve quote minor prophets. And uh, and that's that's just set up to like I, well, I think that's largely set up to emulate the three patriarchs of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then the twelve sons, um, the of Israel. Then so it's kind of very much organized that way. And Joel Joel's going to appear in that in that scroll of the twelve. And um, you know it it's, it's kind of good that we've been doing other minor, minor prophets and doing the settings for those. Um, because one of the things that about Joel um, is he really doesn't address, it, whereas the other minor prophets address the sin of Israel or the sin of Judah, Joel is really not, he's, he's not interested in talking necessarily about the sin. He, he, you know, he may just assume, I think he kind of assumes that you know what's up. You know what has happened. Um, and instead, he's, he's just going to go, right into the judgments of God um, and what what God is doing about about these things. And so uh, it's not real clear where when it's written. Actually, uh, it seems to work, the book itself seems to work really hard to not date itself. Um, and so scholars really don't know when exactly it was written. Um, uh, I think um, pro- probably the, the um, one that carries the most weight, I think, is probably after after exile, uh, what there's doesn't seem to be any kings in the book of Joel. So it's like, okay, when would there not be any kings um, in Israel's history? Well, uh, it would be after post-exile. There's no kings, um, and so it's it it could be that he's reflecting back on what all happened, uh, and maybe even what something that's happening in that moment, and kind of uh, drawing poetic um, ideas out of it and showing you the the way that God works uh, through it, but uh, for whatever reason, Joel really doesn't date date it, um, and he gives you no hints as to when it, when this 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 happens. I think that's part of the literary artwork of the book itself. So, uh, in the it's almost like a you could take this and apply this to your own like to your own experiences and kind of see the work of God through it. Um, and so, which is actually kind of why I think it's good we had that question of uh, when have you felt furthest from God? Because mm. I think that we're going to open up here in a time where Israel feels far from God. Um, and that's largely, you know, again, it's assuming you know what got them in this situation, which is their sin that you we read about in Micah, um, that we read about um, what was what was the last one we just did. Uh, Habakkuk, what they, you know, uh, or actually Habakkuk didn't uh, really talk about that. He's complaining, you know, he is mm-hmm. complaining to God, but he's complaining about the violence yeah. that Israel, has, you know, uh, that he sees among among his people. 
Um, so it assumes you know that type of stuff, that they're taking advantage of the poor and that they're doing all these things. It's inviting the judgment of God upon themselves. Um, and so, uh, anyways, so we'll we'll read through this and kind of talk about the poetic language of it. I would say maybe listen for, um, as we read it, listen for imagery of what it... What did it? What did Israel look like before this thing happened to them? What What is it? What What's the imagery that it's giving to you? And also, are there any other stories that you can think of that sound a lot like this story? Mm-hmm. Um, so, as you read it, we'll, we'll try to be thinking about those things. So, go ahead. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the oil fails. Despair, you farmers, wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. Okay, so he opens up his um, really poetic um, lament. It's, it opens as a lament, um, but he, so but there's things in here that I think that if you if if you've been hearing the scriptures read aloud to you your whole life and you've been taught the Torah, there are certain things that I think that you would key in on the moment it starts, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we we actually have a picture that we need to hang out hang up. Um, this weekend, um, that you that you got me, um, that w- it's it's the, uh, um, it's the uh, the whole written uh, Shema um, that comes from Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, and and um, what what how that reads, uh, and you'll recognize it whenever I say it is, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind." Right. Uh, this is something that Jesus would pick up and bring forward and say, "This is the great. This is the one of the greatest commands is mm-hmm. to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul." Um, and um, but he so he repeats that here. Uh, Joel is gonna is keying in on that, and in in the Shema they would talk about tell it to your children, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, remind him, remind them of what happened and what happened. What happened was the Exodus. What happened was that God coming dwelt came and dwelt among us. That he that he made his his dwelling place here in our midst, and he's bringing us into the promised land, right? So he's Moses is reminding them, "Hear, O Israel, Shema, uh, and tell it to your children, 
Listen to what's happened before and tell it to your children. And so Joel is doing the same thing. He says, hear, O elders, give ear, all the inhabitants. Has this happened in your day or in the day of your ancestors? And then he says, tell it to your children and to your children and to their children and the children of the following generation. So it's like, let this be something that you pass on. Um, the thing that I'm about to talk about, let this be something that you pass on from generation to generation. So that um, not just as like a cool story, mm-hmm. uh, but as a reminder of what happened um, so that they can act accordingly. Mm-hmm. Right. So that they can remember just the same way with the Shema. Like, hey. Remember God's commands because he's been awesome and he's come and dwelt among us and he's made us his, his covenant people. Mm-hmm. Um, so remember the commands of God and, and make that something that you're doing all the time. Well, and also just, you know, as we're, we're trying to read everything in context, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, we are, we have just read the first 12 verses. Yeah. So to me, I had to remind myself of like, why would we just be telling all this bad, like all this yeah. terrible stuff to the generations? And it's sure. like, no, this this section right here of of tell it to your children. Yeah, it's talking about what this judgment looks like, but it's also talking about what is to come. Right. And the in the next couple of chapters that we'll be reading, and just in like the grand scheme of, of the book. Of, yeah. 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 Of the book and what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, that's something to just keep in mind. I'm sure as we do like chapters two and three, we'll kind of reflect back on. Yeah. What is it we're supposed to be telling our children? Yeah. 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 Um, So just keep that in mind that it's that this is not just being like, you know, remind remember destruction. Yeah. (laughs) Remember this judgment where you lost everything and then period. You know, there's there's more to the story than that, and it just takes us some time to get to it. But we have to remember everything that we've we've read. So it starts out uh, with this uh, imagery of the locust. Um, and, and it's not just like one, it doesn't feel like it's one like uh, set of locusts. It's like drove after drove, just pounding them, um, and coming and eating up everything, um, that, you know, that provides sustenance, everything that provides them food and whatnot, it's coming into, and, and just eating, they're coming in, you know, and destroying everything. Uh, and he, he calls them to, to wake up, right. And to, um, and for, and, and this isn't even so much about being, you know, like them being drunk as much as it's about like, look, the thing that you've put your hope in, uh, the, like for the, for the drunkards, your wine is, it's cut off from you. Mm -hmm. It's taken from your mouths. Um, and this nation, there's a nation that has invaded the land and their, its teeth are the teeth of a lion and its fangs are those of a lioness is, um, and so it's saying that, um, or he's talking about this locust swarm that's come in and destroyed all of Israel. This is something that's incredibly destruct, like destructive, and um, uh, it hurts. Like it, we can't, we we as Americans can't really fathom what. I mean, we freaked out whenever there wasn't enough toilet paper. Mm-hmm. You know, but or, imagine or, walking, or when like the cicadas come every twenty years, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. But imagine, but imagine walking into a grocery store for weeks and there being nothing on the shelves. Yeah, you know, um, people that you know, like that there, there's legitimately nothing to feed your children with, and that is kind of that. That's kind of the devastation that the locust swarms would bring, and they still do bring to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so it, it's. 
it's being it's being portrayed as kind of this this active active judgment um, that's being um, that's being poured out on the you know it doesn't I don't even know that it recognize it mentions Israel but there are some keys that can help you get there um, like for instance verse seven says that it has made my vine a desolation and my fig tree a completely splintered stump it has stripped them bare and torn them down their branches have turned white this is uh, important language in the Bible. The way that God talks about Israel is that He would call He would call them His vine. You're my vine. You're my. You're like it, they're described as this tree that's supposed to grow up and bear fruit. Have I ever heard this language before? As as a Christian who follows Jesus the Messiah, have I ever heard anybody? Have I ever heard him talk about the vine? Have I ever heard him talk about uh, a tree? You know, or that. Um, that it would grow up and like provide, uh, you know, shelter for, you know, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is a imp- very important language to the biblical story. Um, and in, in this instance, you know, it's very clearly talking about Israel and he, he's calls them my vine. My vine, uh, has been destroyed and the fig tree, um, has been completely splintered. It's been brought down to a stump. Um, it, again, it kind of reminds me of John the Baptist. He would say the, the axe is laid at the foot of the tree uh, whenever he's talking about the judgment that's coming on Israel in the time of Jesus. Um, and, um, you know, it ultimately finds its uh, fulfillment in 70 AD whenever the temple is destroyed again. But um, anyways, so like all of this is he, he's saying it's been destroyed and he calls on them to wake up, to lament um, like a virgin uh, girded in sackcloth for her husband. So in that in that instance, this virgin, uh, so we have a different idea of what it means to be married, um, whatnot, than, than they do. They have like a, think of Mary and Joseph in the, in the story, um, in Jesus' birth narrative. They're engaged to be married, but they're kind of already like betrothed to one another. Like they're mm-hmm. already quote, married without having been married yet type of thing. You know, mm-hmm. like they're, they're, so to call, to call the virgin to call somebody else her husband, it means that they're, they're engaged, mm-hmm. you know, and they're kind of locked into that. Um, but she, they never get to see, they never see, get to see the fulfillment of their, um, of their engagement in that marriage, uh, in that full-fledged marriage. And um, so, but that's not just about like two two people that just happen to be hanging around. This is about the story of Israel with with their God, um, and it's like before it could ever really get going, that you know it was destroyed before it could ever really get going because of the sins of Israel, because they never they couldn't keep the covenant, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the golden calf narrative, yeah, over and over and over again. But like when they just get married, yeah, we talked <laughs> they about tear it down. we talked about in the in the Exodus podcast how it's like cheating on the honeymoon. That's right, kind of uh, yeah. situation. Before they could ever make it to the honeymoon, Israel had already cheated on their mm-hmm. husband. Um, so it, it's just, um, it's kind of playing on that, um, on the way that Israel is described as, um, you know, as the bride. Um, and and so, talking about how even, you know, because of the locust swarm, there's no offerings to be made. The field is destroyed. And four times, I think it's four times, um, at least three times just in the reading that you did, uh, here it says, um, the fields are destroyed, the earth mourns, 
because the grain is destroyed, and this is what's repeated three times, uh, the new wine dries up. And then again in verse 12, it's going to be repeated twice. After the fig or the vine withers and the fig tree droops, which we already read mm-hmm. about the vine and the fig tree. So he repeats the same words. Mm-hmm. Again, the vine withers, the fig tree droops, the pomegranate tree, and the palm tree, the apple tree, all the trees of the field, they're dried up, and the joy of humanity is dried up. Um, and so um, just this imagery, like, so what was the, I guess, yeah, so the, play on that. So the yeah. question, it, the question um, you asked kind of before we read this, and the question that you asked me yesterday before, when we were kind of studying through this is, so what did this, what did this look like? Before everything was destroyed. Right. And like reading it with those eyes of like, well, what was, so what, what was there? What did this land look like? And Mm -hmm. so you kind of go through and you're like, well, there was a bunch of different kinds of trees and there was a lot of wheat and barley and the harvest was good. And there was a lot of wine. And And apparently there was water, uh, you know, because it's all dried up, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's like this rivers or something there because now it's dried up. Well, I even yeah. think of like the oil fails. Like I, when we read that, it kind of triggered me as like olive, oil. Yeah. yeah, oil would be very much like yeah, the olive needing, tree, olive trees, like and yeah, things that you get from the fruit of the land. Yeah, and yeah. so I mean, this was just you kind of get the words flowing. Like to me, I kind of got the words "land flowing" and "milk and honey" in my head, even though milk and honey are not used here. I'm just thinking yeah. about a land that is overflowing with blessings like the the physical needs that you have which also then of course has to take us back to eden and the garden and um and obviously you know trees and plants and stuff it's definitely you know yeah i mean uh, so what happens in genesis chapter one and two like god makes a garden he sets at he sets the the humans in it um and he provides for them every type of of fruit tree, mm-hmm. right? And every type of tree and there's water flowing out of it. And this is, it's this idea of overflowing abundance mm-hmm. uh, in this place. That is the way that Israel is continually described um, as this new, it's a new garden of Eden mm-hmm. that they enter in, back into um, after, after Deuteronomy, they enter into the promised land and the mm-hmm. promised land is described as this new, as this new Eden, but it never quite meets it. Like, just like with the, like I was talking about with the husband and the, the, the virgin, it never quite gets there. But you can feel it like it's on the cusp of it and it just can't, they can't take the step that they need to take mm-hmm. in order for it to be fully fully uh, realized. Um, but it's for sure described as this Garden of Eden that has just been laid waste by, um, by the locust, mm-hmm. um, which, I, I mean, is very much within... Like I, I think it's it's not like it. They just like came and undermined Yahweh. It's very much like within His power that this is happening, and He's allowing that to happen. Yeah. Um. As the as the natural outflowing of what they have done, right? And not keeping the covenant, just the same as Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, even as a act of. I, I even think that that's an act of grace that 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 happened. Just the same. God is disciplining his children um, and this garden of Eden Eden is not, not, you know, it's being taken away from them um, as a, as an act of discipline and judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, um, 
And also, I mean, just little things like, so we talked about the pomegranate tree and the palm tree. The pomegranate, like, I think the last time we saw it was actually in Exodus, that me and you read something about a pomegranate, and I think it was on the bells, the bells of the priest as he would go in, and he, they were uh, made in the shape of pomegranates, and uh, so that you would know he was still alive in there, uh, that he hasn't died uh, in the presence of God, and then the palm trees uh, in the in the center in the holy place. Oh, I'm sorry, in the most holy place, you would alternate between the um, the palm tree and the cherubim would be around the whole thing. And the reason the palm tree is because it's quote the most most righteous tree. It's the most straight. It's very it's very straight and very um, it it doesn't have turns in it and things like that. It's uh, quote righteous because it's straight. Um, and so you would have the palm tree and the and the cherubim in the um, in the whole, most holy place. I don't think that's too admirable here, but just fun note. Like that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, this is just like I think in part just really emphasizing everything. Yeah, all the trees of the field gone. Yeah, it, all the trees of the field they're all dried up, mm-hmm. and therefore because because all that is gone, then the joy of joy of of uh, the sons of men is dried up as well. It's like, so the the world is dried up and humanity is dried up. So I guess you're probably feeling pretty optimistic after this yeah. section, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but, I mean, here, but here's the point. It's, it's very generic. So just note that, like, this whole thing is very generic. It doesn't give any specifics about what, you know, when it happened, you know, you just kind of have the locust swarm, which locust also takes us back to Exodus. the Exodus. And so, like, what happened to Egypt is now happening to Israel because Israel's not really been any better than Egypt. Um, and um, so it's playing on these themes. And I, and I think a lot of it is just that I, I, I think that this book is really trying to make it so that you can look at your life and you can look at the, you know, the moments where the locusts have just come in and destroyed everything, you know, and you can ask yourself, like, what am I supposed to do with this? And, and I, and it doesn't even explicitly say, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it does, you know, that it, I don't think it mentions that it's really from Yahweh at this point. It's like sometimes bad things just happen, you know? Um, and um, and we can look back in the at the story and know that Yahweh is doing these things like to to chasten his people um but at the same time sometimes bad things just happen because we're in a messed up world mm-hmm. you know and not everything is just like oh you know God is judging you because of your x y or z sin um you know sometimes bad things just happen and i and I think we um you know we can look back. Um, I, I, I think that this is, I think it's actually fair game, um, to say, um, like, look, look at what this, what, what the pandemic did to us, you know, as a people, I mean, it's kind of a locust swarm that has come in, um, and ravaged the land, you know, so what are we supposed to do with it? You know, so what is the reaction supposed to be? And I think that's what Joel's really trying to draw out. He's, he's laying out the, the horrible thing that's happened but it's not for the sake of the horrible thing that's happened. It's like, what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. And what is our reaction supposed to be whenever we've lost the thing that we find our joy in? Um, if if the thing that we find our joy in is the, is the garden, when we lose it, we're faced with like, okay, what do we, you know, what are we supposed to find our joy in? What are we supposed to um, be putting our trust and our hope in? Is it supposed to be in the garden? 
Or is it supposed to be in something else? And the garden is a natural outflowing of putting our hope in that. Um, so um, anyway, so the next section is going to be about like, so in response to the locust, what do we do? Right? Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and start reading here and finish this chapter. Gird yourselves and lament, O priest. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because offering and libation are withheld from the house of your God. Solemnize a fast. Call an assembly. Gather the elders, all the inhabitants of the land, in the house of Yahweh your God, and cry out to Yahweh, oh, for the day, for the day of Yahweh is near. It, it will come like destruction for Shaddai. Is not food cut off before our eyes from the house of our God, joy and gladness? The seeds shrivel under the claw, their clods, and the storehouses are desolate. The grain storage places are destroyed because grain has dried out. How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle wander around because there is no pasture for them. The flocks of sheep are in distress. To you, O Yahweh, I cry out before fire or because fire has devoured the pastures of the desert and flames burned all the trees of the field. Also, the beasts of the fields long for you because the courses of water are dried up and fire has devoured the pastures of the desert. So there you go. So what's the reaction? So, I mean, to me, it's like a, a call to an action yeah. of like, you know, declaring this holy fast, to, you know, call a sacred assembly. The, these things are all all happening and their response is like to cry out to God. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in kind of in a nutshell is kind yeah. of what I take away from this section. Again, mm-hmm. it's still a lot of... Um, to reminding of what the judgment was or you know uh there's a a lot of you know like crying out to god of this is what has been taken away from us Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean to me one of the saddest parts of this section is um the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your god of Mm -hmm. just like this this feeling of like not being able to make these offerings to God, like mm-hmm. just that kind of like what we were talking about with our question earlier of this, like kind of separation from God. Yeah. Um, that they, they, they can't do, they can't, that that's not an option for them to do right. like a, some kind of offering because it's all gone. Right. And, um, like just the, the desperation of, okay, how can we call out to God right now? We don't have these offerings. We don't have necessarily, uh, you know, if you think about in Exodus, everything that they did to like have the temple and everything that they would have needed that, you know, like the silver and the, you know, mm-hmm. all the acacia wood and all the oils and everything that they needed to kind of have that ability to, you know, have this closeness to God, have this more intimate relationship with God, yeah. they kind of have lost that ability except for just their voice to cry out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and actually it seems to be like, because there is no offering or libation, he, he calls for them to actually gather to the house of Yahweh, mm-hmm. um, to, to solemnize a fast. And actually whenever I read it, read that, I'm like, well, of course they would have to fast. There's, <laughs> There's no, no food. food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but it's like to yeah. solemnize it. Like it's a because the food has been taken away. Like we we we're 
we call to like we get to fast, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. That we we get to recognize, like we it's an opportunity for us to repent and say, I I want to I'm gonna lament this. Yeah, you can sit and, there. Yeah, you can sit there and just be hungry and can like complain about complain it. Complain about it, or you can like choose to use it as an opportunity to like reflect. Yeah. On who you are and why this is all happening. Right. It's the uh, it's the moment uh, that Jesus, you know, is tempted in the wilderness, or says like, "Hey, turn these stones into bread." You mm-hmm. know, and he says, um, "You know, man does not live by bread alone," which mm-hmm. is another quotation from Deuteronomy. Uh, that you know, but by the very word of God, and um, and so it, it's like it's a you know because you've lost the the food for your mouth. It's it's like this idea of like we want like so we're gonna gather to the house of God the, the house of Yahweh, and you know get our sustenance from that, mm-hmm. um, and cry out to Him, cry out for Him. Oh oh for the day, ah oh, for the day, for the day of Yahweh is near. And so like he he's he's saying that look you know the locust has come and it's like a this idea that Yahweh is coming, and they they long for it. And at the same time, they don't want it. You know, it's like, it, 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 that's a weird thing about the day of Yahweh. It's both dreadful and also incredibly joyful. Like when, whenever they think of the day of Yahweh, um, they think of the Exodus story. They think of whenever God delivered them. He came down. He came down uh, and delivered them from, uh, from the Egyptians. That was the day, that was the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. That was the day of Yahweh. Good, good thing. Joyful. And that is a Trumper, great, like yeah. trumpets, you know, sing the prayers, you know, whatever. Yeah. But what happened to the Egyptians that day? Right. They were drowned in the, in the Reed Sea. Um, and so, uh, it can be both, <laughs> mm-hmm. both judgment and, and joy and, um, and salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, just like we talked about in Habakkuk. And, um, and so, um, it's both a, a joyful thing that they look forward to, um, you know, but also a dreadful thing. Just, so uh, there's a fun Hebrew wordplay here in verse 15. It says, Ah, for the day, uh, for the day of Yahweh is near, it will come like shod from Shaddai. Shod from Shaddai. So it like kind of like repeats um, the, the, the words for shod and Shaddai. Um, so there's just a little fun wordplay there. Fun fact. Yeah, fun fact. Um, Garrett's a big fun fact guy. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, um, <clears throat> so it's both um, horrible and also at the same time incredibly awesome. Um, so that's just kind of the dichotomy you got to live in a little bit of uh, the all the tension, the tension of the day of Yahweh. And, uh, I mean, but we, you know, if you think <clears throat> about it, just like in our our world, we. Like, we want, we want God to come back and, and, and like, ultimately us just have that just Eden forever with Mm -hmm. him. And then at the same time, you know, we're also in his coming back, we want him to rid the world of terrorists and like heinous acts against children and cancer and all these horrible things. And so it's like, um... You know, you know, it, it, we eagerly want him to come back, but it is kind of scary. This idea of like all the, all the things that could be destroyed too in that moment. Even yeah. though I think we would agree that that would be 
good <laughs> for there yeah. not to be. Well, any, I, I think like, it. I think it ultimately comes in whenever we realize our own heinous crimes. Exactly. Um, That's what scares and, us. And then we. And then we were like, but wait. What if he destroys me? What really separates yeah. me from this awful, from yeah. this air quote awful person? From, right. From this person that society all goes, yep, bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. How am I really much different? And that's, that's what is terrifying. Cause then you're like, well, where, where do I fall here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but, uh, and, and so, and that's a lot of, that's what the biblical story is working out is like, how does God destroy sin without destroying you? Yeah. And he's working that out and, mm-hmm. and it's going to come at the day of Yahweh. And, and, um, and, and that's going to get worked out in the day of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so, and, 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 and it's good to note that, like, look, they don't see just one day of Yahweh in, in the biblical narrative. There's one major day of Yahweh that is coming, but they, they see every subsequent thing of, like, the locust swarm. It's like, this is the day of Yahweh. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's you know, drawing us to repentance, that we, that we change and we, you know, we rend our hearts and not our, our garments, which is going to come up in the next chapter but um a little but, tease <laughs> a little teaser um but uh so it's it it's kind of drawing that out um and there's gonna be a lot of imagery that's gonna that's gonna repeat and play out throughout the bible actually one one thing we've already read that's going to be repeated in um in revelation uh chapter nine so revelation's very much uh keying in on the on joel uh revelation chapter nine verse eight will repeat um this stuff about the locust swarm, but it'll it'll verbatim say you know it and its teeth are like the teeth of a lion and its fangs of a lioness. Like Revelation is going to pick up on these things and thinking about the ultimate day of Yahweh, um, uh, pick up on Joel and replay that replay that scene. Um, but uh, yeah, so like um, the whole the whole deal here is that um, they're. Joel is calling them to cry out, uh, just like they did in the Exodus narrative. I mean, that's kind of how the first chapter ends. I'll start it with this: of like, and the beasts groan, like they even they're kind of crying out. Even the animals of the field are, are crying out. The herds wander around. There's no pasture for them. And then it says, "To you, O Yahweh, I cry out." Just like, just like in the Exodus narrative, I cry out. They whenever they cry out in Exodus. God responds and he comes down and he sets things right. Um, and uh, he, so he cries out, to, cries out to God because everything has been destroyed and everything has been, again, there it is again, dried up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the courses of water, this garden of Eden has been turned uh, into a desolation. And so he's calling on God to, um, to do the new creation act again, um, that he could, he could restore, restore the world. Um, do you have any other thoughts? On. I don't think so. I really enjoyed reading this again because I had new things that kind of came to me as we yeah. read. Like it's just it's cool that you can read something multiple times and something new kind of pops out to you every time. So yeah. Um. Let me look at this thing. I'm gonna um kind of close it out here. Um. In Romans, I and I I think I think um Paul if Paul's not directly quoting um from Joel, but I think he's got the theme on his mind. Um in that he he talks about um creation and it's um 
its sufferings? Um, and what, what, what is the hope for it? Um, and in Romans chapter 8, I'll start in verse 18. It says, uh, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed in us. A lot of people know that. It's a good little car stamp, you know, or a car uh, um, bumper sticker. For the, for the eagerly expecting creation awaits eagerly the revelation of the sons of God. So creation itself is awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. Uh, for the creation has been subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it, which is humanity or Adam. Um, that it's, it's been subjected to futility by humanity um, that we've, we've caused it to, you know, um, to suffer, uh, essentially. That the creation itself uh, also will be set free from its servility to decay into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So uh, what he says there is that um, it's been subjected to futility by us, but the hope, in hope, the creation itself, um, that it, it itself would be set free um, by, the, by the children of God. So those, those of us that have been, you know, like for the revealing of the sons of God, that they would set creation free. Uh, for we know that the whole creation groans together and suffers agony together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves while we await eagerly the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we, for in hope we were saved, but hope uh, that is uh, seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we await it eagerly with patient endurance. And so, um, and he's going to talk more about what the spirit does and all these things. But anyways, the, the point I want to make is that he's, I think he's very much in line with Joel. Joel's talking about all of creation groaning. It's dried up, uh, that the, the beast of the field, they groan. Um, and humanity is dried up, its joy is gone, um, and it longs for the day for the day of the Lord. And so um, in, in some way, Paul, Paul's actually kind of talking after the day of the Lord in some sense because the day of the Lord will happen uh, at the cross. That will be one, one portion of the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a lot of keys to that. Um, but, um, it, and he says that we have experienced the first fruits that is that we've received the Spirit through because of Jesus the Messiah. Um, that we've received the Spirit and we've seen the first fruits, which are both uh, us receiving the Spirit, but also experiencing the resurrection of God, the re- resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. We've seen Him; um, that He's been resurrected. He's the first fruits of the new creation. That the day of Yahweh has come, and the first fruits of creation are were, are there in the risen body of Jesus the Messiah. Um, so he's, we've experienced that, but even still, all creation is groaning for its, it to be, to be released from its bondage. Um, and so I, I think, anyways, I only bring that up because it, it's something that I feel like Paul is very much working on the themes that you find in prophets like Joel, where all creation seems to be suffering because of the choices of humanity and the choices of even God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it longs for the day when Yahweh will come down and he'll set all things right. This is what Isaiah 64 is all about. The beginning of it says, 
rend the heavens and come down. You know, like he's longing for God to come and be and dwell among his creation and to set things right, that the earth would quake before him. But that's almost a good thing. You know, like that it's just like this eager anticipation. Both it's scary, but it's also incredibly joyful that the presence of God um you know, would would be among his creation. That's the longing and the hope for all of the story of the Bible. And so um, I think with, with Joel, um, we haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, we're going to get, we're going to touch more on that in chapter two. Um, but the, uh, I guess the whole point for chapter one um, is this, look, you know, the things that happen to us, um, the locust swarms that come in and devour everything, um, they're a key and opportunity for us to repent and to seek God. The only thing that, that he is the true vine. He is the one that, that actually we should put our hope and our, our trust in. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to stop looking at those things as the things that we put our hope and trust in. Instead to render, render our hearts unto him and say, no, you're the, you're the thing that we, that we hope and we trust in. And, um, and sometimes he's got to take that stuff away in order for us to see that. And that doesn't mean that we're not the children of God. That actually means that we are the children of God, that he does that, mm-hmm. that he disciplines his children, that he says, look, this isn't good for you. You know, just like with our own son, you know, we're having to <laughs> figure out what to do with him for like, he, you know, it, like it's not, we don't hate that he watches TV sometimes, but sometimes that gets to the point where that's not good for him mm-hmm. and it's not good for us either. Um, and so we, we try to cut that back and it's not because we hate him. Although he'll say like, you hate me, you know, like he gets it, a little dramatic, he gets dramatic about it. And he's like, you know, you hate me and all this stuff. And like, he might feel that right now, but it is not because I hate him that I'm taking that stuff away. I'm trying to take that stuff away because it's not good for him to, to, for that to be his life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I think, you know, whenever they started putting, Maybe whatever we're putting our hope and our trust in, you know, that there's a good chance that gets taken away. If, you know, if we're truly children of God, we want God to take that away from us, really. Um, if uh, if that's going to help us turn turn our hearts towards him. Um, and so, you know, I, it's a it's an opportunity of reflection. Anytime that type of thing happens, um, this pandemic that just happened to us, it, w- it was an opportunity for us to turn our hearts towards God and say, look, you know what really matters to us, and um, and to to solemnize a fast, to call the elders together. When was the last time we did something like that? You know, when was the last time we, as a people, said, you know, we we need to all come together and to lament the situation, and not just be like, I'm singing through the storm. You know, everything's happy. We're pretending it doesn't exist. That's not what the Bible does. It says no, no. It's okay to lament the situation and to make that be something that I'd cause to tor- turn my heart towards God. Uh, and, and you can see the hope, um, but not for the sake of like pretending that the storm or the locust doesn't exist. The locust very much exists. Um, and, um, you know, it, it just, but seeing that is an opportunity to turn our hearts toward him. And so I, I think that that's, um, that's what the call of, of Joel chapter one is.